I am your host. Thank you so much for joining me. On this episode, we're thankful um, it's Thanksgiving in Canada. But what our real topic today is, is going to be uh, police brutality. Um, but before I get to that, it is Thanksgiving, like I said earlier. Um, it is an opportunity for us, especially in Canada, to take a moment to be thankful for whatever has happened. Um, the original holiday was, by history, history lessons go, is that... Um, when the first set of um, people from Europe came here, obviously while the natives were already here, so I'm not going to call them the original settlers. Um, so when those guys, the first batch of you know immigrants from Europe came to, to this part of the world, North America, one of the things they did as a tradition was give thanks as it got into fall. So essentially it's really fall in Canada. And this is like pumpkin season, pumpkin spice lattes, pumpkin spice, everything is out now, it's October. And obviously towards the end of the month is also um, Halloween, which is another holiday that people will celebrate here. But in terms of the Thanksgiving opportunity, I'm just going to pause. I'm thankful for Canada. I think Canada has really given me an opportunity to, you know, grow my life in some shape or form. I've been able to, uh, you know, become who I want to be independent uh, of any you know, expectation or what have you. Um, I'm thankful for friends in this country. People have been really, really nice. People have been very welcoming and open to immigrants here. I'm thankful for opportunities here. Uh, I think work has been really, really great for me here. Um, I've, you know, as long as I've gotten the skills and the education here, I have been very, very grateful and I remain grateful for all the opportunities that continue to come my way. And I remain really humble about them. I'm also one thing I just want to also be thankful for quickly before I move on to my main topic today. Uh, I'm also thankful for fantasy. I think whoever came up with that and just made sure that I could, someone like me could enjoy sports with all the data and even just like looking out for players instead of supporting certain teams. Like if I don't like certain teams, I don't care, but it gives me the opportunity to support certain players on certain teams without, you know, having to be a bandwagon jumper across teams. So thankful, thank you for whoever invented fantasy football, uh, fantasy soccer, fantasy, everything. Thank you so much. So, so grateful for that. But one of the things you will notice um, that I said was I'm thankful for Canada. And as you may know already, Canada was not my original um, country. It is my adopted home now. And I love everything about it. Like the culture here is wonderful. Uh, everything bar winter. Let, let, let me, you know, but if not for winter, you can appreciate this, the, you know, the summer. But anyways, a lot of things about Canada, the way it runs, the way it, you know, the way it is, I am grateful and I am thankful that we still try to improve. But one of the things that, you know, continue to, you know, that way on the back of my mind is Nigeria. Um, this past week, why, if you were on Twitter, the number one trending topic around the world was um, a hashtag end SARS. Um, and I really want to talk about police brutality because I've not had the opportunity to mention it in any of my previous podcasts. As a black person in North America, in Canada, one of the things I'm, a, I'm very, very aware of and conscious of is my interaction with the police. And you would think that this is a strictly North American phenomenon or like, you know, and again, that's not to say it is a good thing that it is not only in North America, but this is a problem that I'm aware of in general. Growing up, um, one of the things we were taught in Nigeria was, you know, the police is your friend. Police is your friend. The police is your friend. And I know quickly we realized that that was not the case. And I know I left Nigeria really early in my life. I was still a teenager when I left. But one of the things I was very much aware of was that the police is just a stressful group of human beings that can they essentially have the power and the immunity to do anything to you as, as they please. And there is almost an absolutely nothing you can do about it. Like they have the power because they are essentially enabled by the law to correct situations. 
But what happens when they are wrong? No one can correct them. So obviously there's been police brutality, Black Lives Matter, that protests that have happened here in Canada and also in North America. I was actually even, I got to witness some of that and even be part of those protests in Ottawa. But when the NSAR situation started, especially from a large protest in Nigeria, one of the things that bothered me was my entire family is still in that, uh, in Nigeria. And so one of the first things I did was call my brothers just to figure out if they're okay um, and if they were planning to join the protest because I know for sure that it affects them a lot. And I know this because like the last time I was home, I remember my dad being so tired um, and he was like, okay, Tolu, can you drive us home? And I'm like, ah, okay. First of all, I, I, driving in, you know, you know, driving out here is not, <laughs> it's not my, <laughs> it's not my thing. Like I, I can't, but it's like, like he's really tired. Now, don't get me wrong. I am fully licensed to drive in North America, Canada. Uh, I have my license and everything. Um, I've driven in the US just fine. No issues, no nothing. I've driven, you know, just fine. So I'm a pretty safe driver, I'd say. But to drive in Nigeria was stressful. One, obviously, because um, traffic lights were a situation, infrastructure was a situation, um, potholes everywhere. I, I know that was another thing to worry about. But the biggest issue on my mind was what happens when the police stops us and they start asking unnecessary questions? Keep in mind, I have my license from Nigeria as well. But if I have to deal with police in Nigeria and they hear me, like with, and keep in mind I have an accent. Now for those who are listening to me in North America or any other part of the world, you will assume I have an accent that isn't necessarily distinctly Canadian, but imagine someone who's Nigerian hearing me, I don't sound completely Nigerian. And so that's already at the back of my mind. And that's for me coming in as a visitor to my own country, just stressed about police. Aside from people like me, there are also those who live there who are constantly stressed by the Nigerian police. Now, the NSARS situation, so SARS stands for um, Special Anti-Robbery um, Squad, I believe it is. So that's what the SARS SARS stands for. It's this unit of the police that they are specifically admonitioned to stop um, robbery, uh, armed robbery and burglary, that sort of thing. So what they do in terms of how they um, position themselves is they dress um, in undercover wear. So essentially they don't use uniforms other than like they use a vest to identify as police, kind of quote unquote. They have machine guns that they have with them. And so they act with immunity because their goal is to be able to stop robbery immediately before, either before it happens or at the spots where it happens. And so one of the things they'd gone about doing was they would just harass people just to essentially shake them up and see if they were robbers. That's how they'd go about it. And so there'd be checkpoints on the roads just to be like, okay, we're just checking to see if there's any unusual activity. That was always the guys. So with this anti-robbery squad, with all the immunity of the police, you do not know if these guys are robbers themselves because again, they're dressed without uniform and they don't have to identify themselves to you, right? For someone like me who's been in North America for a long time now, over a decade, police have to identify. They have to let you know who they are. In Nigeria, they just don't care. So they can stop you for any stupid reason, any reason at all. Literally, it can be, you have an iPhone. We're going to stop you. How, prove that you have the money to be able to afford an iPhone. It can be because you have a laptop. You have a MacBook. How can you afford a MacBook? 
That is stupid, as you can imagine. Absolutely bonkers. But that is something they can stop you for. They can say, if you have a laptop, prove that you bought it. Where's your receipt? And now I, I think about stuff like that. Now, again, keep in mind that I am getting this information secondhand from my own family members and even from friends that I still have back home. So, um, and obviously people who have been in these situations. And now to me, someone, if someone to ask me today, prove how you have your phone. Do you have a receipt for your phone? I, I am done. Like at that point, I'm going to jail. I'm, I'm like, I'm going to jail. Like there is literally no way for me to prove I have anything I have currently. I'm, I'm going to jail. Where, where am I carrying the receipts to or from? Like, what? I'm done. But you see, that is the kind of tactic these guys use. And so the expectation is, what they do is, especially in these kind of situations, is they would straight up arrest you and let you know that you would come with them to jail, um, to essentially jail, and you'd have to pay out a bond, right? And then you can let go. Or they, what they'd also do as, again, as the information goes is they take you to an ATM, ask you to withdraw some money, and then they let you go. And so you can imagine what has happened. They've essentially just turned it into some kind of bribery ring and a straight up terrorism ring. That's essentially what it is. Someone can stop you because they are police, claim that you are, you are a criminal, you are a robber of some kind, they caught you in the act, and then they can do whatever they want. Now, if you do not cooperate... If you do not cooperate, they have the backing to kill and then plant evidence saying, well, unfortunately, he, he was a criminal and we were doing our due diligence. In Nigeria, you can get away with stuff like that. Unless you have some kind of political clout or your parents are rich, this is what these people do. There are businesses, there are tech startups in Nigeria today that have funds set out separately for whenever their employees are harassed by the police. It is very mind-boggling to imagine. I cannot in this environment imagine that a Google or an Amazon has separate funds just so that whenever an employee is harassed by the police, they can settle it. But that is one of the costs of doing business in Nigeria. Now, keep in mind, like I said already, infrastructure is somewhat of a problem in Nigeria already as is. There's already enough infrastructure issue in Nigeria in terms of power, in terms of good roads, um, you know, access to opportunities, access to education. There is all that. And they are trying to run a business in this country. And above that, above all the other things you need to provide for yourself, you have to worry about the police on top. For me as a young man, I already know for sure I cannot drive in Nigeria peacefully without the worry that the police will stop me saying, well, you look too young to own this car. What? My brother tells me all the time, man, some days we have to avoid certain routes going back home because we don't want any trouble. And he's like, I, I cannot understand how like, this is still a thing. Now, I do want to imagine, you might think, okay, so, okay, with all this in mind, how are people going about it? Well, this is not the first time people have complained about this, um, SARS, essentially. People have complained about these guys since 2015, as far as I remember. 
That's because I remember that was, that was one of my first times going back home after finishing university or something like that. And even in 2015, I believe there was a protest in 2016. If I remember correctly, that was, was that an election year in 2015 or 2014? 2019 was the last election year. So four years before that would have been 2015. Yes. So 2015, there were complaints then nothing was done. I believe in 2017, they claimed that they would revamp or uh, I believe what was the word, uh, reform SARS, they would reform them. So that was announced, still continued. 2018, if I remember correctly, they said it was suspended, still continued. 2019, it was again um, informed that they should, what was the word they did? Something about either suspended again or something like that. Or like the Inspector General of Police said something about it at that time, they were not allowed to stop and search anymore, still continued. And here we are in 2020 protesting it once again. NSARS, number one training topic in the world, literally on Friday, uh, October the 9th. CNN covered this, BBC covered this, and I believe a bunch of people also on Twitter that I've been following where, you know, saying this, uh, I, re I retweeted a bunch of tweets about it. And even at the point I just got so depressed, I could not even engage it because I keep thinking one of these days, it can be anybody I know. Now, again, I'm lucky that it's not been anyone I know, but should that really be a luck game? Should it really be a luck game where, oh my goodness, let today not be the day my brother, my friend is going home and then police stop them. Let it not be today. Let it not be any day. This is ridiculous. One of the things I think about sometimes is why is life difficult, especially for black people? Why? Now, I know some of it is, is just part of history. Like, I know, I know some of it is history where, like, okay, obviously, this slavery thing has already happened. You pick IA. But then, like, African countries, like, just to even get ourselves together, where we look out for each other without it being, like, you look like you are a criminal. That to me doesn't make any sense. What? Because I'm black? And obviously in Nigeria, where people are, people are all the same, where everybody is the same. Everyone is Nigerian. Everyone is African. Everyone is, and yet we look at each other like, I, I cannot get that. Like you get a little bit of power and then you're drunk. And next thing you're power drunk to just do anything you want. Just a tiny bit of power. Just a tiny little bit. And now no one can talk to you. No one can, you know, relate with you, no one can negotiate with you. And these people are doing their absolute best to terrorize everybody with the small power they've got as police officers. And it's endemic across Nigeria too. Now, I know obviously this episode is restricted to police brutality and I want to leave it at that. But it's endemic across a lot of things in Nigeria. That's part of the reasons why I'm here. Because the fact of the matter is politicians are also abusing their power. And it's frustrating. It really is. Do you understand that while people were protesting this thing, people were protesting the police, of course, and naturally police with guns, what are they going to do? Fire back, shoot tear gas, um, come in armor tanks. Again, it's almost like they've seen the playbook from the US. They've seen what happens on TV. They know the game. Well, you know, what are you, what are you going to do? You, you're only so, there are only so many of you. We have bullets, we have firearms. So we're going to, you know, whatever. But then you would imagine that politicians would come out and say something. Leaders would come out and say something. The president would come out and say something. You know, governors would come out and say something. Senators would come out and say something. And it was mute everywhere. Every damn where. 
Now, of course, some of them eventually came out. I remember I was a gentleman, I believe some um, Senator Alabi, I believe in, uh, in either the House of Reps or in the Senate's House, who said something about it. And obviously I know Mr. Speaker, um, the House of Reps as well, as well, also said some things about like, as a young person, you're more likely to, you're more afraid of the police than anything else. You know, you're more afraid of the police than COVID. You're more afraid as a young person, you're more likely to die um, than, you know, the president. You know, there's, there's all kind of things that were said. And I, man, it's already difficult enough being in that country. Well, we have to make it more difficult for ourselves. Why? Now, again, I understand it's easier for me to say from a safe place. I'm in Canada and honestly, Canada has given me all the opportunity that I need. And even then some, right? Like Canada has been wonderful for my own development. I don't imagine I can have grown this way in Nigeria. But it is absolutely frustrating to see this keep happening. And I know for sure that part of it is because my family is there. But even that aside, it is ridiculous, absolutely ridiculous that this is still happening in 2020. And I know for sure President Buhari in his beautiful home, Aso Rock or whatever it is, in the, you know, as, as the president, man, I feel like he has, he has shown his hand. I, this guy, this president guy, okay, when all this was breaking, obviously, on Twitter with all the social media posts and people were, you know, protesting en masse, my brothers obviously went out to protest. A lot of people went out to protest. Friends I knew went out to protest. People I'd seen in school, you know, people I'd grown up with went out to protest. And obviously, I've seen all the videos and being able to, you know, live vicariously through them. This president guy, all he did was, well, express shock. He was shocked that this is what's happening. He's shocked. And you know the funny part? He has been expressing shock year after year after year. Bruh, there's only much, so much shock you can shock. There's only so much. Bruh. And obviously the running joke at some point was, there isn't enough electricity in the country for this man to be shocked this much. I mean, that was the running joke for a point. Bruh. People voted this guy twice. Twice. Two times. And this is the level of just like apathy to the plight of people. Millions and millions of people. There's so much that goes wrong in there. Like there's a lot that goes wrong in Nigeria. And honestly, kudos to people who continue to put on a brave face and keep, keep on going. Kudos to people who have fought through COVID and obviously are doing their best to keep the economy moving. There's been so much that's happened. I remember when I first came to Canada, when I was coming, the Naira, which is the, obviously the currency of Nigeria, was about eight, um, 150 Naira to one USD, if I remember correctly. Maybe a little bit more. If not, maybe 100 and something. It was 100 and something. It was a little 100 and something. Maybe 120 or 100 and somewhere in the back. Now it's above 400. I, bruh, life there is already tough. It's tough. Now people got to die. And you know the worst part? People are not even protesting. Hey, lack of jobs. We're not protesting. Okay, education is bad. We're not protesting. We don't have access to water. The government doesn't provide water. We're not protesting. Hey, we don't have freaking, I don't know, power. People have to get their own backup generators. People have to get their own fuel. Like for an oil rich country, we still import fuel. But again, that's another issue. That's not what we're protesting. We're protesting, please don't kill us. 
above all the things we've done and all the suffering in this country. Above it, please, don't kill people. Can I beg you for that? They gotta, like, you have to beg government officials to be aware. Like, this is not something that government officials look at like, yeah, this ain't good, let's fix this. People gotta protest this first? Really? Come on now. But you see, that's part of it. It's like, I, and, I, and I try to, and I wonder, like, what exactly is the purpose of government in a lot of African countries? Like, I, I try to understand because obviously while we're here, like, obviously we've seen all the COVID measures that have happened in Canada, right? Like, obviously, Trudeau has essentially on a regular basis given a lot of um, news about, okay, this is what we're doing. These are the measures we're implementing. This is how we're going to, you know, phase out whatever. Um, Premier of Ontario has done the same, Doug Ford. He's come out regularly, either moving phases, okay, shutting down businesses, yada, yada, yada. In Nigeria, it's just like every man for himself. Now, again, luckily, I, re I realized that one of the reasons why COVID hasn't really spread in Nigeria is essentially because of elitism. Like a lot of people who had um, COVID initially were a lot of people who had the access to travel throughout COVID. So it was a lot of politicians who got it early. And because they don't mix that well with people, it has essentially stayed there for the most part. Now, again, obviously, there's obviously there'll be some outlier cases where it spreads out. But like... This one just already dealt with COVID. I mean, again, to a certain degree, it's been decent. And now above that, regular folk got to worry about being shot by police. You could see parents coming out. You could see women coming out, young men coming out. There is a lot that we've got to deal with already. There's a lot. I'm adding police to this thing, man. Hey, come on, guys. <sighs> God damn. Now, I am hoping. I know, obviously, it doesn't matter to this president. Like, he's going to serve out his term. There's, there's not going to be any impeachment. There's, I mean, because at the end of the day, he can just, you know, pass the buck to well, Inspector General of Police. He can just fire that guy, and then we'll say, okay, well, he's done something. Um, they can do reform. They can pass laws, and you know, we'll just go back to square one. What, what I'm, what I predict will happen is they will scrap um, SARS. They will. But then they will reform all the, whatever, the officers in there, no charges anywhere, no nothing. No, no one's going to bother to even go and investigate. Okay, we heard these people died, this person died. Let's do something about it. Nah, just going to be like, well, hmm, okay. I mean, we did something, we scrapped ours. And it's going to be all the same. But I hope, I really hope I am wrong. And it goes beyond that. I'm hopeful that, you know, we get some justice for the people who've died. I'm hopeful that, um, you know, they make these guys a clear example. I'm hopeful that Nigeria turns the corner in some shape or form. Like, man, that, again, that's just hope. But at the end of the day, if you cannot be realistic, we might as well be hopeful because the reality is just a nightmare in itself. So I'm hopeful that things change. I am thankful that my family is safe at this time. And man... On that note, happy Thanksgiving. Be kind. Um, be grateful for what you've got. And let's keep striving for more. On that note, I'm out.